And now for something somewhat derivative. <laughs> Stand and deliver. Hello and welcome to another dose of the comedy nerdery we know as Stand and Deliver. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. I was watching the goodies a few weeks ago. ABC2 have been repeating the third season and there was an episode that got me thinking. It's the one where Tim Brooke Taylor, the upper class wannabe with the Union Jack waistcoat who espouses patriotism but is essentially a coward, is trying to find an angle to butter up his phenomenally wealthy great-uncle Butcher Fitzsimmons in the hope that Butcher will leave him a sizeable inheritance. How despicable! How could you sink so low deceiving a poor, frail old man so you can get your greedy, grasping hands on his life savings? Yeah, that's absolutely disgusting! And it's a very good idea! It is, isn't it? <laughs> so off Tim goes to his great-uncle's estate, with Bill Oddie, the hippie, and Graham Garden, the boffin, in tow. Tim insists that Bill and Graham make themselves scarce so as not to jeopardise his chances of impressing Butcher. In the scene you're about to hear, the butler Bastable announces the entrance of Butcher Fitzsimmons. Your great uncle is arriving, sir. Now, you're not going to realise this just by listening, so you'll have to take my word for it. Butcher's appearance is hilarious, not just because he's played by Tim Brooke Taylor pretending to be an old man. It's a long way from the conservatory. Ah, there's the young nephew Tim. Just a minute. Oh, dear. But also because he's not riding a horse. He's accompanied by a servant banging two halves of a coconut together. Oh, up, sir. Giddy up, sir. Get up. Oh, that's better. Uh, well, just a touch of rheumatics in me with it. Oh, you, Tim, old man? At this stage, you should be thinking, hello, the goodies are ripping off Monty Python. Because we all know that classic scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail when King Arthur, played by Graham Chapman, first appears with his rugged steed Patsy, played by Terry Gilliam. Halt! Who goes there? It is I, Arthur, son of Usa Pendragon from the castle of Camelot, King of the Britons, defeater of the Saxons, sovereign of all England. Pull the other one. I am? And this is my trusty servant, Patsy. We have ridden the length and breadth of the land in search of knights who will join me in my court at Camelot. I must speak with your lord and master. What? Ridden on a horse? Yes. You're using coconuts. What? You've got two empty halves of coconut and you're banging them together. So? And you may know that all three goodies had shared history with half of Monty Python. They attended Cambridge University and were members of the club The Footlights where they practiced being funny before going professional. And there was a kind of rivalry between Python and the goodies. The goodies were always seen as the kids' program, particularly in Australia, where the show went out at 6pm. In fact, there's even a gorgeous cameo that John Cleese makes in the goodies episode Goodies and the Beanstalk, where he's the genie appearing out of a can of beans. He takes one look and realises he's in the middle of an episode of The Goodies and screams, kids program, and disappears again. Of course, during this time, John Cleese was actually doing a radio show with all three goodies. It was called, I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again, and it ran for pretty much most of the 70s. 
But if you did think the goodies were ripping off the pythons by using the coconuts as a horse, you'd be wrong on two counts. In the first place, this season 3 episode of the goodies was shot in 1972. Monty Python and the Holy Grail was released in 1975. So did the pythons in fact rip this gag off from the goodies? Not likely. If anything, perhaps both the pythons and the goodies were ripping off someone else. There is at least one other British comedy source for the two halves of a coconut equals a horse routine, and that's in the sketch television show Peter Sellers made in the 1950s, a show entitled A Show Called Fred. It was directed by Richard Lester, who of course would go on to direct the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night. Now, once again, as you listen to this, you have to take my word for it that this is Peter Sellers strolling into shot, banging coconuts together. The groom, whose job it is to take care of the horses, when summoned, proffers a bucket into which Sellers drops the coconut husks, and the groom then waters them with a garden variety watering can. Very brief, but quite funny for its time. You can find the footage in a documentary called The Unknown Peter Sellers, which was one of the numerous bonus features that was made available with the Pink Panther film collection box set that was released several years ago. You can find a reference to a show called Fred in the Jonathan Margolis penned biography of Python Michael Palin. It turns out that a young Michael Palin used to watch this show at a friend's place when he was a kid. Now, chances are the routine pre-existed Peter Sellers and a show called Fred. Maybe it turned up countless times on stage before someone did it in a university review, before both the goodies and Python in turn did it in their television shows. At least when the Pythons got around to doing it, a couple of years after the goodies, they took it further. We have ridden since the snows of winter covered this land, through the kingdom of Mercia, through... Where'd you get the coconuts? We found them. Found them? In Mercia, the coconut's tropical. What do you mean? Well, this is a temperate zone. The swallow may fly south with the sun, or the house martin or the plover may seek warmer climes in winter, yet these are not strangers to our land. Are you suggesting coconuts migrate? Not at all. They could be carried. What? A swallow carrying a coconut? It could grip it by the husk. It's not a question of where he grips it. It's a simple question of weight ratios. A five-ounce bird could not carry a one-pound coconut. Well, it doesn't matter. Stand, stand, stand and deliver. Getting back to the goodies episode, though. After the appearance of Great Uncle Butcher Fitzsimmons, Graham and Bill reappear, disguised as old, conservative, upper-class twits, in order to appeal to Butcher. Oh, how do you do? Pleased to meet you! Who said that? We did! Oh, best of all? Sure. Swivel me round, would you? How do you do? I'm Butcher, and you know young Tim, of course. Tim. And they get on brilliantly. I once fell off a horse and broke my leg. I once fell off my leg and broke a horse. <laughs> I once fell off a horse, broke both my leg, both my arms, oh. and my neck. What happened? I don't know, it killed me. But wait a minute. What did that routine of systematic one-upmanship in a foolish accent remind you of? 
Could it be a certain Monty Python sketch known as the Four Yorkshiremen? Because there's a great version from the concert film Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl. We used to live in this tiny old tumble-down house with great big holes in the roof. <laughs> house? You were lucky to live in a house. We used to live in one room, all 26 of us, no furniture, half the floor was missing. We were all huddled together in one corner for fear of falling. <laughs> you were lucky to have a room. We used to have to live in the corridor. Oh, we used to dream of living in a corridor. <laughs> Would have been a palace to us. We used to live in an old water tank on a rubbish tip. We got woke up every morning by having a load of rotting fish dumped all over us. But that's from 1982. And there's a great version from the Amnesty International charity gig, The Secret Policeman's Ball, with Python's John Cleese, Michael Palin and Terry Jones, along with Rowan Atkinson. What is the house? It were only a hole in the ground, covered by a couple of foot of torn canvas, but it were house to us. We were evicted from our hole in the ground. <laughs> we had to go and live in lake. <laughs> you were lucky to have a lake. <laughs> There were 150 of us living in a shoebox in the middle of motorway. But that's from 1979. And of course, there's a great version from the live 1974 Python album, Live at Drury Lane. You were lucky. We lived for three months in a paper bag in a septic tank. We used to have to get up at six in the morning, clean the paper bag, eat a crust of stale bread, go to work down mill, 14 hours a day, week in, week out, for sixpence a week. And when we got home, our dad would thrash us to sleep with his belt. But all of these versions of the Four Yorkshiremen sketch came after the goodies episode. Interestingly, the original Four Yorkshiremen sketch predates the goodies and Monty Python. It first appeared in a sketch show in 1968 called At Last the 1948 Show, written by and starring John Cleese, Graham Chapman, Marty Feldman and Tibrook Taylor. In fact, it was a source of a couple of sketches that were later attributed to Monty Python. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Can I help you? Uh, Yes. Do you have a copy of 30 Days in the Samarkand Desert with the Duchess of Kent by A.E.J. Elliot, O.B.E.? Uh, well, I don't know the book, sir. Uh, never mind, never mind. Uh, how about 101 Ways to Start a Fight? By? A- an Irish gentleman whose name eludes me for the moment. Uh, no, well, we haven't got it in stock, sir. Uh, well, not to worry, not to worry. Uh, can you help me with David Copperfield? Ah, yes, Dickens. No. The bookshop sketch that you may also know turns up on Monty Python's contractual obligation album in 1980. It was from at last the 1948 show. Uh, No, Edmund Wells. I think you'll find Charles Dickens wrote David Copperfield. Uh, No, Charles Dickens wrote David Copperfield with two Ps. This is David Copperfield with one P by Edmund Wells. Oh, in that case, we don't have it. So, if this element from this episode of The Goodies does sound a bit like the Four Yorkshiremen sketch, that's okay. Timbrook Taylor was one of the original writers, as he acknowledged in an interview I conducted with him way back in 2005. They produced a DVD this year of that last 1948 show, for many years, I used to bleat in the wilderness and say, I wrote that sketch. I helped. I part wrote that sketch. And people used to sneer and say, no, it's Monty Python. But now I've got proof. <laughs> we had it tough. I used to have to get out at a shoebox at midnight, lit road clean, eat a couple of bits of cold gravel, work 23 hours a day at mill for a penny every four years. And when we, and when we got home, Dad used to slice us in half with a bread knife. <laughs> 
in a way, you, you came very close to being a python. Surely it was a roll of a die as to whether you became a goody or a python at some stage. Yeah, yeah. It could have gone either way, I think. I think I'd have probably not gone with python because uh, although they were all friends, I think they were better writers than I was. But yeah, I think it's good that it went the way it did, but you're absolutely right, yes. Well, that's interesting that you should say that as well, because I noticed that there are early goodies episodes that you don't write. That was more to do with the fact that I was doing other things, as well as the fact you can't really have three people writing a storyline, I think. Bill and Graham were able to write much quicker than I did, so it was probably best for all of us that they took over the writing. Because of that work, you also worked on Marty Feldman's solo show. Yeah, yeah. That, they were good fun, those Marty shows. What are you then, son? Church of England. Good for you, mate! Yeah, good for you, son! What about you, mate? Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic, yeah. That's one to them, one to us. Well, it's all down to him then, isn't it? I'll say it's all down to him. Half the crown says he's C of E, right? Well, I, I don't actually indulge. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. Six to four on, he's C of E. Jew, no bet. And I'll throw in a couple of indulgences for free. There you are. You on? Yes. Right. What are you, son? I'm an agnostic. <laughs> you what? I'm an agnostic. You stupid git. <laughs> Sorry, I'm great. You stupid git. You get up there, mate. Tell him you're an agnostic. He'll smash your teeth in. <laughs> in his infinite mercy. That was the reason. That was actually, if I'm perfectly honest, the reason I wasn't a python, because I was, it would have been awkward for me to have done both. But you did live with Cleason Chapman for a while. Yes. You did share a flat. Yes. And all that period, John and I were performing, and I'm sorry, read that again. In fact, sort of when we were doing Last 1948, we'd both been working on a frost programme as um, researchers, basically. Not very good ones. I thought the whole point of the frost programme was everyone wrote it but got a with credit after David Frost's name. <laughs> That's the frost report. The frost programme was uh, more of an interview type thing. But you're right, yes. <laughs> That's actually how we met up with Marty Feldman, um, was on the frost report. Now, your goodies character with yep. a hyphenated surname, the Union Jack waistcoat, standing to attention to recite very patriotic words while Land of Hope and Glory, or Pomp and Circumstance, whichever way you yep. want to label it, plays in the background. <laughs> yeah. Where'd that come from? Well, if you think about it, if you're trying to get three characters that represent everybody, you've got to have a right-wing neocon loony. You've got to have a boffin technocrat liberal-ish, wishy-washy middle, and you've got a bloody revolutionary, which, and if I'm, if I'm going to be cast with a name like mine, I don't think I can be the revolutionary. So that's how that started. So basically we took up on those roles. I, I really disliked my character in many ways. It's, um, the only thing I had in common was we were both incredible cowards. If you, you remember, he may make those fascistic speeches, but he usually used to go and hide in the cupboard afterwards, which this is the way quite a lot of right-wing people are anyway. It's awful because a lot of people do assume that's exactly how you feel. Um, and, uh, and the awful thing is that they're the ones that like the character because he says the right thing. Stand and deliver. Ooh, stand and deliver. Stand and deliver. Stand and deliver. That was Tim Brooke Taylor talking about how he became a goodie instead of a python along with some excerpts including the original Four Yorkshiremen sketch from At Last the 1948 Show and The Bishop of No Fixed Abode from one of Marty Feldman's sketch shows.
Now, that last point we briefly discussed in the interview, Tim's character on the goodies standing to attention to make rousing speeches accompanied by Land of Hope and Glory. Here's an example from one of the goodies episodes, and I apologise for the sound quality, it's not quite up there. That lost island must be claimed for England. Right. And it is we three who must sail forth on those uncharted waters, as did the fearless mariners of old. Yes, we must follow in the wake of those men who made great discoveries. Marco Polo, Captain Cook, Huey Green. Yes, that lost island will become a bastion of the great British Commonwealth, and the primitive people will learn how to wear detached collars and ties, and how to beat us at cricket. Yes, we must sail on that voyage for England. Here's the thing about Tim's routine. It's funny in and of itself. And the fact that these speeches crop up in various episodes make them funnier by dint of their repetition. But I was watching an episode of Hancock's Half Hour, that masterpiece sitcom written by Galton and Simpson and starring Sid James and Tony Hancock, when I noticed a similar motif being employed. In this scene, Hancock's bragging about the ancestral stately home that was once in his family. It doesn't matter what you've done, mate, you'll never get a knighthood. You can't carry a title like that living in these cheap rooms. No, well, of course, I realise that, but if I did receive an honour like that, I should naturally move to more knightly surroundings, back to Hancock Towers. The old baronial hall, I never told you about that. A marvellous place. One of the stateliest homes of England. Gothic motives with Romanesque perpendicular tracing. A gem of architectural beauty. The great sweep of the drive. One of Capability Brown's masterpieces. Approached through great iron gates with the family crest done in gold leaf. The majestic building rising out of the valley. A marble doorway flanked either side by heraldic beasts. Rearing rhinoceri with crowns on their snouts. The turrets and battlements commanding and solid. The huge centre tower hewn out of the solid rock of old England. The east wing and the west wing bespattered with arrow slits through which sped a thousand arrows. Built to withstand the onslaught of invading hordes and the ravages of time. A lasting monument to the glory of mankind. What happened to it? It fell down. (laughs) Okay, my question to fellow comedy nerds listening is this. Did Timbrook Taylor and the Goodies, whom we have established this episode weren't ripping off the Pythons, happen to rip off Hancock, Galton and Simpson? Or is there some other source that both the Goodies and Hancock and company are satirising and or parodying? Answers on the back of a stumped undressed elephant or via email or as a comment under the transcript to this episode on www.stanandeliver.blogs.com. thus. Then with a clapping motion, bring them together and apart. Together and apart. 
together and apart, together and apart. Once you become more confident, you may wish to delegate this task to a partner or young friend, leaving you free to concentrate on achieving the authenticity of full equine motion. Oh, easy, boy, easy. 